Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the binding. Welcome to Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez, and this week we are going to cover Moving Pictures by Terry Pratchett, which is the 10th Discworld story. This one was published in 1990. It follows Eric, which I just read. I honestly wouldn't have moved on to Moving Pictures if Eric wasn't so short. And because it was shorter, I decided I, I wasn't through with Discworld for now. I was going to stick with it for a while. I was intrigued by this one for quite some time because of the title. Uh, I had seen the cover, so I was very aware that Moving Pictures was referring to movies, uh, but Rush is one of my favorite bands. Uh, Moving Pictures by Rush actually isn't one of my favorite Rush albums. I would say it probably falls maybe like fifth or sixth. It's definitely my favorite of uh, Permanent Waves came out in the 80s, in 1980, so I, I like that one more than Moving Pictures as well. But So I can say it's the best one from the 80s, but second best from the 80s, in my opinion. Uh, 2112 being my favorite Rush album, followed by Hemispheres. Uh, third would be Farewell to Kings. Fourth would be Fly By Night. And I don't know, maybe I, so maybe I'll put Permanent Waves there at 5 and put pick, Moving Pictures at 6. That's maybe how I would rank my favorite Rush albums. Uh, I think that's a pretty good order. I might, I, I might adjust it in the future. Alright, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to Beyond the Bindings and not, not our, uh, our brief intermittent discussion of Rush here. Great band, if you haven't checked them out or if you like progressive rock from the 70s and you haven't checked them out, I... Highly recommend uh, listening to some Rush. But, Moving Pictures by Terry Pratchett. I had been excited, like I said, to read this story. And uh, I, I thought that I didn't really know what to expect from it. it. It kind of, lately, because I've been reading so many Discworld stories, I've, try, I've been trying to kind of put a, like, wrap my head around when exactly, like, in, in Discworld's evolution societal evolution i guess i should say not its evolution of of creatures or humanoids but it's an evolution as a society i was trying i've been trying to kind of put my finger on where would they be in terms of like where we are in terms of earth years or not earth years but earth societal growth over time and i kind of put them in like maybe the late 1800s is kind of what i was thinking that's it's a little mix of both you're definitely seeing that there are less developed uh, cultures and societies within Discworld, which you would have certainly seen uh in, in the late 1800s here on earth so uh and in other cities like in ankh pork we're seeing development uh whether it's good or bad you're seeing societal developments grow in different ways uh and very much pratchett is kind of poking fun and parodying some of these developments uh, that i that i've always kind of put in the late 1800s and i didn't really start thinking about this 
until guards guards or sorry guards guards because that one is very you know it almost has like this medieval version of ink mork pork but it's still kind of continuing on this timeline so really the events of that story were somewhere around the events of moving pictures so it's kind of like this weird mix of what i kind of perceive as the 1800s along with that medieval style that you see associated with fantasy most often and that is something that i i think it's used heavily because tolkien used it for lord of the rings and then i mean there's just so many other fantasy stories that kind of revolve around that medieval time period for whatever earth or version of earth they happen to be on brandon sanderson's mistborn series you still get a very medieval feeling from that in fact so much so that in the in the later mistborn books the other series uh alloy alloy of law i think is the name of one of them i actually never read these ones uh but i do know that the world that the mistborn that mistborn takes place in does develop to the point of like the early 1900s here on earth so it's almost kind of like pratchett's doing something similar there but i like when fantasy has a different like has a has something other than medieval time like a medieval time experience uh within the setting and and sometimes it's a mix of both but i would like to see things even go further back in in what you would assume would be human development of society or whatever the creature's development of or species development of society would happen to be uh, maybe even getting into like fantasy that invo involved more tribal based human societies and things like that it would be pretty cool maybe i mean you know honestly i'm sure this exists but i would like to read something like this so back to moving pictures here this was a very unique story in regards to what we typically get out of a pratchett discworld book where there wasn't really uh like a big adventure which is honestly most of them uh, some of them at this point that I've read kind of um, drew away from that a little bit, maybe stayed within one individual setting. Guards, Guards is a great example of that, where uh, they're pretty much in the city of Ankh-Mark Park the entire time. But then we get back to Eric, and although Eric was very short and quick, it uh, it still had that try uh, that that travel adventure aspect of it which i i did find very amusing with eric especially in the quick nature of it so in moving pictures you're brought right into the thick of it at the beginning where you're in ink mork pork and you are learning through means of characters that are within ink mork pork that there is actually a new form of art that's been developed and it hasn't been developed by the wizards it's this new form of magic hasn't been developed by the wizards instead it was actually developed by the alchemists and the alchemists are not very respected in ink mork pork they're view they're looked down upon especially by the wizards for using um like a you know quote in quotations form of magic and the alchemists actually create something called a moving picture, which is just an early version of a film. So you can kind of just think of any of the earliest 
uh, earliest versions of film that you've seen, even like predating Charlie Chaplin or anything like that, uh, that's like essentially what they were making. And they have this whole alchemy, uh, you know, version of magic that they're using that requires these demons that exist within the camera that is actually moving the pictures. And it's basically like, it, I, I kind of got, I kind of felt like he was kind of describing stop motion animation but with using actors and things like that. So very quickly, um, the clicks and the moving pictures become very popular, so much so that the wizards aren't big fans that it's actually happening and that people are filming these clicks or moving pictures in Ankmork Pork. So you learn of the main alchemist, who is, uh, I think they do describe him as the, uh, the head of the, Alchemist Guild, which is not a well-respected guild, um, especially not not in comparison to the uh, Assassin's Guild, for instance, in Inkmore Pork. And it, his name is Thomas Silverfish. And he's basically the person or the alchemist who created moving pictures just in general. And so he ends up being called to this other city, or it's not even a city yet, and it's ironically not ironic. It's ironically called Hollywood. So H O L Y, not uh, not Hollywood, but Hollywood. And it's uh, so essentially, it's just L A. It's just Los Angeles, and he's kind of called there to go make these movies or these moving pictures there, and that's kind of what starts the essence of this entire story of. Thomas Silverfish moving out, creating this holy wood. It kind of starts from the ground up. And he's traveling back and forth from Ankmork Pork, trying to get actors to come in and all these sorts of things. And that's kind of what builds this whole story. So it's it's almost like you're witnessing the like the boom of cinematography happen within the confines of Discworld and, and specifically in this area called Hollywood. And through there, you're introduced to more characters that kind of end up becoming your main protagonist. And that is actually this character named Victor. And Victor is actually studying at the Unseen University at the beginning of it. But he's like the most impressive student ever. So much so that all of the wizards despise him for this. And he purposely scores just under perfect all the times so that he can continue to learn more about wizardry and all of these sorts of things. But within the beginning of the story, you find that Victor is, he, he's using the Unseen University strictly to gain this knowledge. And he is offered a job by Thomas Silverfish. Because it, I, I didn't mention this, Victor is like not your typical wizard. He's like, he, he basically, in my, he's like Dolph Lundgren or, uh, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like that's the kind of, uh, the picture that Pratchett, I think, is attempting to paint for you here in regards to that. So Victor meets Thomas Silverfish. Silverfish offers him a job working in these moving pictures. Victor is a little apprehensive at first, but makes his way out to Hollywood, which would be like, they made it seem like by, by foot, maybe it takes like a, a day or two to get there from Ankmore Pork. Eventually, he starts filming in all these moving pictures with this uh, this woman named Ginger, and they're like always doing like the you know kind of romance, save the princess type stories. And through that, the moving pictures become very successful. And you can kind of look at Victor and Ginger as like 
you, you know being the most popular actor and actress of all of all time at at this particular time now mind you that moving pictures throughout the entirety of this story they only really existed for about like five months and then the events of the end of the story happens and everything kind of dissolves within this we get a reoccurring character that we've seen quite a bit more recently in Discworld. His name's Cut, Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler, uh, C-M-O-T Dibbler. And he gets in with Thomas Silverfish. And Dibbler is just kind of like that guy who could sell anything, you know, he could sell anything to anybody he can convince you to buy. He's like a street hustler, essentially. And he does convince Silverfish to give him his job. And then slowly throughout, there's this whole humorous aspect of the story where you see Dibbler kind of take everything from Silverfish. And, and I did find that actually quite entertaining. And uh, Dibbler, by the end of it, you really dislike. And sometimes, sometimes Pratchett does that where you dislike a character but you typically don't have to interact with the characters that you're like supposed to dislike very often throughout a story in Discworld but cut me on throw Dibbler you have to interact with him a lot especially in this story and he's horrible you really hate him by the end of it and another thing I really loved about this is they uh they brought in trolls and trolls were like forced to be like super civil because they were working on these moving pictures and so you were uh you are kind of witnessing some of like the witnessing the trolls have to kind of keep some of their innate desires and reactions to things kind of at bay as they were working in this in the confines of Hollywood within this. Now, you do learn throughout the story that something about this area of Discworld kind of like drew them to this and almost was the ones respond were the were the ones responsible for actually creating the moving pictures in the first place. And it's almost like this Lovecraftian entity that is like otherworldly, kind of interdimensional, and it is truly the one responsible for this entire boom of of cinematography, or of course they call them moving pictures within this. And that really, you don't get, he peppers it in that like, for some reason, these people are being called to this area, like this is where the moving pictures have to be created. But he only peppers that in here and there. You really have to kind of keep up with it throughout the beginning of the story. And then about midway through, maybe even more towards the end of the book, you start getting this whole like, oh, there's there's an actual thing that's that's doing this. And we don't really know if that thing is good or bad. And I really, I thought, because at first it was just like the typical Pratchett, like very humorous. I thought he was just kind of making fun of Hollywood. And he was still doing that. But then he was kind of using that idea of like the allure of film just to us here on Earth. And I found that intriguing. And I think that's a lot of the themes, the, you know, I think the major theme running through this entire story is just kind of that, uh, that, that illusion of Hollywood and, and what the image of it is that, that we get to see and what are kind of the images that lie behind behind all of that and how we can sort of blow these things up to be this huge thing the most important thing in the world and truly it's it's really nothing at all and i found that very interesting because you know we clearly put a lot of a lot of stock in 
Hollywood and celebrities and things like that and view it in this way that they've existed for so long, like this idea of kind of putting this person in this upper echelon, they're higher above just the normal mundane people like you or I, these celebrities. And if you really think about it, like, I mean, that hasn't, like, global celebrities haven't been around for a very long time. I mean, I would say that outside of, like, politician kings and queens, things like that. I would say that writers and actors like Charlie Chaplin were some of the first people to be like globally known. And that, that all, you know, when in the grand scheme of things, that's really not very, wasn't a very long time ago. And everything else would have just kind of been like these legend status characters that may or may not have existed. So kind of interesting to view it in that lens. And another aspect of it is that that I love to look at within this story is that I have a huge connection with stories in general, and movies are, you know, for a, for a long time were kind of my introduction in into being really into stories. Because when I was younger, I didn't like to read. I found reading very challenging. I've talked talked about this on the on the podcast before. But movies were kind of, and TV as well, were kind of my introduction into what stories were and how to follow a story and kind of understand individual characters and make connections to individual characters. Even at the time, probably picking up on little themes, little lessons being taught within the story as well, especially with uh, kids' TV shows. But movies in particular, I never had a boundary of like, what I, as a kid, like, this is a kid's movie. I was aware what was ki- what were kid's movies and what were not kid's movies. But kid's movies and adult movies, like, they all kind of played a big role in my life. And I was just kind of thinking about ones that really did play a big role in my life. And things like Home Alone uh, is in regards to kid's movies or... The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, the first two, where the guys are like dressed up in the suits and everything. Movie, like comedies, like Heavyweights, or uh, what was another comedy I really loved when I was a kid? The Little Giants. But then I look at other movies that are starting to, you know, they're kids' movies, but starting to get a little bit more story heavy, like things like The Goonies, and then getting into what became some of my favorite stuff, which sci fi, fantasy, things like that looking at Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and these movies that kind of encouraged me to want to read, right? Where I wasn't able to go pick up the Lord of the Rings when I was a kid after I had seen the movies because I just wasn't capable of reading a story like that. But what the movie did was provide me the opportunities to want to do it. And and essentially that kind of led into who I am today. So I'm very grateful for that. And reading, in, in return, has offered me a different perspective of viewing movies. I don't... My favorite way to take a story in is by reading a, by reading a book. I, I like movies. I, I'm very particular about the ones that I like. Um, I think that I need to be like in the right mood to watch movies just in general. The length of them kind of gets to me. And for, for a big portion of it, it's just, in a movie, I'm not actively, like, I, I want to be actively engaged, but I can be easily distracted from a movie. Whereas with reading, I'm if you're reading, you're reading, and if you're not, you're not. 
it's this or that. You can't really be very much in between. I know that you can drift off in your thought while you're reading, but you can't literally pick up your phone and stare at it while you're reading a book. It's just not doable. And unfortunately, that does happen. So often when I watch movies, especially nowadays, I try and take my phone and like go put it on the charger or do something with it so I can actively not be around it. Uh, other movies that have played a big role, especially in my adult life, would be like the Coen Brothers movies, um, particularly No Country for Old Men, or Fargo is another one. Pulp Fiction will always kind of be on my list of favorite adult movies of all time. And uh, I, if I could think of, I, I like Reservoir Dogs as well, um, but I would probably put Jackie Brown above Reservoir Dogs when we're talking Quentin Tarantino movies. But it's just kind of interesting to think about, like, uh, you know, how we're kind of molded by these movies in general and how sometimes you can put so much weight into them. And uh, I do the same thing with books. And I think uh, I really enjoyed how much Pratchett kind of brought some of this to light for me in particular. So overall, as far as moving pictures goes, I would probably say it might be one of my favorite of the Discworld books that I've read so far. So this will I've this is book number 10. I've read 11 of them because of the Hogfather. But I would probably put this as number 2 or 3 to be honest. My three favorites would be number 1 is Mort. Uh number 2 or 3 would be Moving Pictures and then again number 2 or 3 would be Equal Rights, which was book number 3. So there's a lot here so far, and I'm excited to continue to go and dive through Discworld. So I read about 11 of them just in 2022. Actually, technically, Moving Pictures was the first book I finished in 2023 here. But I think it's time to take a little break from Discworld. I've kind of done quite a few of them, and I, I, I'm ready to move on just for maybe two or three books and then make my way back to it. So... Uh, moving forward, I'm excited to find some new stuff, uh, maybe reread some stuff from my past in particular and have an opportunity to uh, talk about it here on the podcast. But as always, I'm Max Lopez. This is Beyond the Bindings. Uh, thank you for listening. It means so much to me. And uh, if you uh, need a, you know, an opportunity to get some books, go get a library card. Always, uh, always promoting library cards. 